When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think he mentions Steve Loving in it, but he doesn't go into explicit detail of how that actually works. My knees are weak at the moment. And what the does. Can we, can we? Is it shows it? I know. I know. I was yeah. like, they're going to cut away. They, no, 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 they're not. Cut, they're, ah. There it goes. Oh, there it goes. This is episode 104, 104. Hey everybody and welcome to this episode of Flixwater Podcast. Today we are joined by Miriam. Hi. Gareth. Hello there. And as always, Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about the Stephen King adaptation, Gerald's Game. I hope you enjoy the show, guys. Remember, please visit us online at flixwatcher.tv. Come to our Twitter account at flixwatcherpod and please... Go to iTunes, subscribe and review. There will be spoilers and bad language. You have been warned. <laughs> Hello, film fans. Welcome to this episode of Flixwatch Podcast. In our studio today, we have Gareth and Miriam. If you would like to say hello to our listeners and uh, tell the listeners how you know me and Kobe and um, sort of your film interests, please. Well, I know you guys through being a part of uh, the awesome Shabbos Rollers, our film quiz. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Um, my interest in films... <laughs> Gareth, Gareth doesn't like whooping. Uh, <laughs> I think we should do some more whooping. No, I need, we could do a, I need an intensive whooping workshop. Save it for the quiz. <laughs> um, I was out watching films for a long time uh, when I had two little kids and a few years ago um, with the Netflix subscription, I thought I should finally get to grips with my uh, appalling film history viewing. And so I went about it fairly systematically. I went through like 150 of the best horror movies, one after the other, and various lists I found on and Telegraph and The Guardian for best films on Netflix at any one time, and therefore sort of had a very intensive film education. And from that was able to work out a little bit about what I do or don't like. So what do you or don't you like? Uh, well, I like certain kinds of horror films, Maybe not Gerald's game, but we'll get to that. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> particularly anything with ghosts and ghoulies. Uh, I like psychological thrillers. Um, not very much of a fan of rom-coms, um, although my husband loves them, which makes for a difficult... Ooh, difficult those Netflix choices are going to be interesting. Yeah. He's, a, he's a crier, so he'll be weeping within the first 15 minutes. So do you know our top scoring film is When Harry Met Sally? Oh, Dreadful. What? <laughs> well, it's I, good job you weren't in the booth recording yeah. that day. You know, well, I, I used to love it uh, when I first saw it the first couple of times and I rewatched it recently and uh, it was great for the first half and then I think it sort of falls down the toilet after that. But such a terrible set of cliches. <clears throat> so this might be the thing. I think, but I think it instilled a lot of those cliches. It creates them. Yeah. Then we use them afterwards. Because I think um, when we were talking about during that recording, when we, myself and Helen and everyone else in the recording, watched it the first time, we were a bit too young to understand what was going on. And then as we watched it more getting older, we are like, oh, okay, these make sense. So you then saying there's like another end where it kind of falls off a cliff. She's just so unappealing. I can't imagine why anyone would fall in love with her. And he's, he's a bit of a twat. Um, I do like the other couple. But, um, Carrie yeah, Fisher. Everyone yeah, loves of those. course. Uh, that works. But um, I just wish they would go away and never, and never, never come back. <laughs> well, luckily we're not reviewing that one no. today. But you can listen to it if you want to, guys. Gareth, who are you? Who am I? It's a question I ask myself a lot. <laughs> um, I'm Gareth. I know you guys from the same quiz team that Miriam just mentioned. 
And I suppose my love of film started as a very lonely and bored teenager. That was my escape, was finding movies that I could watch and imagine a more interesting life. Uh, Where are you from? Just to... South Yorkshire. <laughs> glamorous, exciting <laughs> South Yorkshire. Yeah, that gets a whoop. Um, and I very quickly got into horror movies. I think, you know, there's the movies that you watch when your parents plonk you down in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. And then there's the movies that you find yourself drawn to. And I think from about the age of 12 onwards, it was horror for me. Uh, both written horror and movie horror. But my tastes are fairly broad. For horror? Well, no, yeah. for actually for all oh, movies. All I, movies. I've got yeah. a kind of fairly extensive... Can I say fairly? That's probably underselling it. I have an extensive collection. And probably the only genre I don't care for is westerns. I think I'll dip in. I think it's like with me with horror... I don't really care for horror, but if someone says this is a good film, get out, a quiet place, then I'll happily watch it. I think if there's, if there's a good Western, then I'll happily watch it. As long as the story is not about being a Western, it's about something else that's happening in the... We have this kind of discussion on our WhatsApp group quite often, don't we? We do. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think my, my, my problem, particularly with Westerns, is aesthetically they all feel very similar sure. to me. Mm. Whereas at least horror, you can have you know, something like Peter Jackson's Brain Dead over at one side, one end or Hellraiser on the other or a Nightmare on Elm Street mm. or a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They've all got very different aesthetics, very different moods and tones, whereas Westerns are all generally kind of dusty. Ag- aggressively macho, dusty and yeah, far too many no horses. there's women in them. No, unless well, they're whores. Unless victims. they're whores, yeah. yeah. Mm. Occasionally a nun. Yeah. I mean, I don't like horses either, so maybe that's yeah. Westerns You're just not for me. To not like westerns. No, I, horses bore me. I can't look at horses. How <laughs> how well has South Yorkshire been represented on film, other than the Full Monty and Kes? Okay, so all right, there you go. Yeah, and also there's another one. It, funnily enough, it's a horror movie called When the Lights Went Out, and it's a really interesting um, Yorkshire take on paranormal activity or Amateurville Horror. It's about a haunt, an actual documented haunting that took place. And the writer-director, whose name escapes me, was a friend of the family who were haunted. Right. And it's set in a little council estate in Yorkshire that feels very familiar to me. Like, I went to school with kids who lived on an estate. Exactly, like, I know what those houses are like inside and out. And it's actually a pretty good film, and it represents Yorkshire. Cool. Let's not cool. forget Rita Sue and Bob too. That's a different kind of horror. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Yorkshire though? Definitely. It's it most absolutely Yorkshire. Yeah. Cool. All right, Gareth, uh, we're here talking today about your film, your choice, which is Gerald's Game. That's right. Can you give us a two-minute synopsis and tell us why you why you brought it to the table? Yeah, to the hot okay. box, as so, I've just decided to call it. The hot box. It's pretty yeah. warm in here well, today. it's mild so far. We'll see how we get in a half an hour. Um... Gerald's Game is the story of a a man and wife who go to their holiday cabin by the lake, um, supposedly to reignite a bit of passion that's dying in their relationship. But as we quickly discover, she's not that into it. And his attempts to try and reignite the passion kind of reveal a little bit more about the sort of person he is than she perhaps realised. Um their opening overtures to sex don't go particularly well. Um, And he dies quite quickly on, that's not a spoiler, that's kind of the point of the film. He dies and she finds herself rather rather, um, awkwardly handcuffed to the bed. And the rest of the film is really a story of will she find the internal resolve to get herself out of this situation? Mm -hmm. Or will she go mad and die? And we'll, we'll, discuss, that yet. we'll discuss where she goes. Uh, so why did you choose it for us? I chose it because there are a handful of films out there that are adaptations of books that are described as unfilmable. Mm. Films have like, you read this book before? I have. I sure. read it when it first came out. I was Like I said earlier, I was a big Stephen King fan and I read it. And we can talk about Stephen King later if you like. But what was interesting to me when I read the book is it it came out in, I think, 1992. And it was, Stephen King wrote three books in the early 90s. And a lot of um, critics and literary reviewers viewed this stage of his writing career as Stephen King's, um, 
they called, and I'm waiting for Mun's reaction to this, but they called it his feminist awakening. Some people have, yeah, there we go. Some people, <laughs> some people have attributed it actually to um, his daughter Naomi coming out as a lesbian at around that time. But it was very interesting that all of his books up to that point, with the exception of Carrie, which was his debut, had had a very male focus. And he wrote three books in succession that took on a very um, female protagonist point of view, all of which addressed issues of abuse. So there was Gerald's Game, there was Dolores Claiborne, and there was Rose Madder. And they work as a sort of trilogy of books. Gerald's Game and Dolores Claiborne were actually written as one book. And then they were split into two. And that's why the Eclipse figures in both of them. Right. Um, and they, they were going to be published as a kind of dual volume. And then his publishers thought, actually, we can split them out and make twice as much money. And then he wrote Rose Madder, which is less effective as a story. It's still interesting and worth reading. But Gerald's Game was the interesting one because it's such a tight concept. Woman handcuffed to bed, will she escape? And as a writer, I know that Stephen King has this uh, thing that he likes to challenge himself with called the kudja which means could you get out of it? Mm. So he'll write himself into a scenario where it's almost an impossible situation to find a way out. And he challenges himself as a writer to find a solution. And this book is full of those little moments. A, a scenario is set, it's like um, an escape room. It's what's the setup? How can you possibly get out of it? And then how do you tell that story? And so I really loved how tight a narrative it was. But like I said, the challenge is how do you make a film of it? Because a woman chained to a bed sounds like the worst kind of torture porn. And also all the book takes place in an interior monologue between a bunch of different personalities in the lead character, Jessie's head, as she kind of runs through her past and other situations that she's found herself in. And that doesn't work as a film because... how It's not cinematic. It's not cinematic at mm. all. And it's... I think there's many films have, str have struggled uh, trying to portray it in a monologue somehow in a film. Yeah, and it's really hard. And I think Mike Flanagan, who wrote and directed Gerald's Game, just came up with a really elegant solution for mm. that um, without necessarily overcomplicating it. So he kept all of the core aspects of the story and just simplified some of its execution so it made more sense. And it's anchored by a really amazing performance. Carla Gugino is incredible in this film. I love the gooch. Yes. Miriam, what did you think? Um, I have to admit, from the opening scenes, uh, I hated it from beginning to end. From the start? From right from oh. the start. I, I, this kind of horror genre is not one I'm massively keen on. Uh, it did feel a bit like a kind of torture porn light. Um, you, want, you want torture porn heavy? I don't want torture porn <laughs> at all. Um, it felt like a strange made-for-TV, soft-focus, abuse-adjacent, badly-acted, heavily-dressed... Oh! Um, Sorry, heavily-dressed? Don't, don't hold back. What? No, please, I mean, go for it. In go terms of the... It just felt like you could almost see whoever dressed that scene was hiding around the corner. It just looked too perfect. And there was so many... Um, so much focus on the prettiness of Jessie's face in and out. And it just felt like she it wasn't very authentic I didn't I didn't believe it I didn't believe her and the inner monologue which was well done um in the sense that they obviously have two actors doing it one is her it just was full of exposition it was all signposted miles ahead so you knew exactly what was going to happen the child abuse was totally expected I wasn't at all surprised um, and the only thing that kept my interest was the kudja, like how would I have got out of this situation? And the whole way through, I was thinking, but surely she can just break the bedpost. It can't be. That's got to be easier than what actually happened. Mm. And that's what I was thinking about. Otherwise, I just wanted to had to die as quickly as possible so I could get to the end of this film. Mm. Oh. I was just, just going to say before we go any further, if if you. Um, I've got any interest in watching this film then you should probably watch it because we will probably be giving away the ending or indicating we'll giving spoilers. Away the yeah, so um, stop listening now. Um, I quite enjoyed this. Um, was it? Did it surprise you? Um, 
well, the reviews had been very strong and Gareth had talked about it very fondly already. Um, and um, Stephen King's sort of track record is, is very good. And um, yeah, I'd heard generally good reviews of it. Um, I mean, it's... It, it shouldn't work because it is basically one person in a room for nearly an hour. But the way it's directed, I really enjoyed how um, the the inner voices are represented right, yeah. and kind of how you sort of move through that journey of her mind playing tricks on her, uh, what's real, what's not real. Um, it's got a fair amount of gore. I particularly enjoyed the bits <laughs> with the dog. Um <laughs> That, that's a fun character. Uh, it's kind of got this, this slight supernatural element to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, you know there is going to be some kind of um, trauma that happened early on to affect her relationship with her husband. And, you know, well, that reveal will that, come is on. Is that a bit of a trope, though, for, for films or stories well, that the, female, the woman yeah, has to have had suffered to... But, uh, but, but it's I've... a different kind of... a. <coughs> Abuse. It's maybe not the obvious one that everyone goes for, but I mean, it's it didn't that didn't detract from. I must say, enjoy my 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 film. <laughs> how much I enjoyed this film about no, sure. but as a horror film, that didn't. It wasn't a, a negative aspect for me. I think um, I I enjoyed this a lot more than thought than I thought I was going to. Um, that's the main kind of overarching theme here. But for me. I was kind of confused. I thought initially, I thought it's going to be a nice kind of tight two hands two hander. Mm. I hadn't read the book, and I thought actually this this could play. I'd like to see how this would play out as a two hander. And then when they started to bring these other narrative strands, which bring which bring in the abuse storyline, which I ha- I guess has to feature. But then they kind of took away from me. And then also the, the story about the big tall person was he there? Was he not there? That also took away from the what could have been a nice tight thing. But then I think the film would have brought itself into its own kind of kudja of a, how do you make this film mm. work? And I like the way that the, the internal dialogue was played off between uh, Carla Gugino and uh, and her husband. Uh, Bruce Greenwood. I, Bruce Greenwood. I liked how that played. I liked how they did that. <laughs> I thought that was really nice and clever way to do that. And I think if it had somehow managed to play the film like that in the way that we like, we really loved um, Ex Machina, for example, as a mm. tight, as a tight two or three-hander film, I would have loved that a lot more. Mm. But when it kind of strayed away from there, it just kind of lost it for me mm-hmm. a bit. There's a couple of things that are really interesting about it. Firstly, there's one major change that they make. Mm. To the storyline. In, line, in the mean. film, to the storyline. To, to, yeah, from the and book. it seems like a very, uh, on the surface, it's almost inconsequential. It's actually hugely important. In the book, he is trying to initiate sex with her and she is resisting. Mm. And she knees him in the groin, which is why he has a heart attack and dies. And as he has a heart attack, he falls back and he breaks his neck and that's what kills him. And who so, knew that kicking in the groin would have that effect? Well, who knew? <laughs> but what was interesting is the fact that the narrative in the film shifts culpability. He just has a heart attack almost Shouldn't have been blopping, popping those blue pills. Yeah. No, exactly. And that's the addition is that Viagra didn't exist when Stephen King wrote the book. And yep. I wonder whether he might tell the story differently if he was writing it now. But taking away her agency in causing his death, even though she doesn't intend to kill him, she Mm. just wants him off her because she's not into what he's trying to create. But that, for me, is a really interesting difference. In the book as well, she's naked. So they're already starting to have sex and she's naked. Mm. And I think that would have made this a very, very... That was one of the reasons why this seemed unfilmable, Mm. Mm. is you can't have a naked woman chained to a bed for an hour and a half. There's just something unpleasantly voyeuristic about the whole idea of it. So the fact that she's in a nightgown, where it's her attempt at trying as well, changed the role of her character in the setup and just... It's interesting that that's how they chose to make it slightly different from the book rather than actually changing the plot per se because everything else that happens is pretty much as it happens in the book except in the book it's her multiple personalities. Not not, incru- not including the husband's point of view. In fact, the husband's point of view is very minimal in the book. Okay. It's, it's basically her having a dialogue with different versions of herself through her life and I think... The other point I wanted to come back to about the abuse 
is I think when you get to the end of the film, and funnily enough, I think one of the things the film does really well is it lands at the point of the story almost more clearly than the book does because the book isn't about really, the story isn't about a woman chained to a bed. It's not about the kudja. That's just to keep the narrative going. That's the MacGuffin, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is the MacGuffin because the reason King wrote it and the point he wanted to make with it and the reason he wrote Dolores Claiborne as well is he wanted to write two stories about women who have experienced abuse throughout their lives and the actions they take to free themselves from whatever the monster is. The monster becomes metaphorical and that's what the story's about. So when I read the book, when Mm. I was was 17, I didn't get all the metaphors. And actually when I read it, as someone who liked Stephen King for the horror, the moment the actual horror was introduced in this spooky Moonlight Man, I mean, it was a genuinely terrifying thing to read in the book. I remember getting goosebumps all up my neck and it was really, really creepy. But I kind of felt cheated like... In the film? No, in the book. Okay. As a teenager, I felt like he'd thrown in some horror because that's what he was known for. And actually, I'd found the rest of the book so compelling. I didn't need the horror. And it felt like this... And it goes really gruesome. I mean, it's the whole Ed Gein Mm. story. It's the, you know, the teeth and the bones and the body parts and the exhumed corpses and all that. And And it's, it's really, like, extremely grim for something that's been... You could almost imagine it working quite well as a two-hander play on a stage that degree of horror I just felt was unnecessary. In the film, they managed to soften some of that detail and amp up what the film's really about, which is the men in her... Like, funnily enough, so this is just an, an aside point. I don't know if you saw Mark Kermode's show at Christmas about Christmas movies. Mm, no. It was really good. And he talked a lot about A Christmas Carol and how A Christmas Carol is a model that's been applied time and time again to all sorts of Christmas movies. I was thinking about it this morning and the thought that suddenly hit me is that the three men in Jesse's story are like the past, the present and the future. The past is her father, the present is her husband and the future is this creepy moonlight man that's sitting in the corner of the room. She's experienced different kinds of abuse twice in her life and her fear is that the third one, the future one, is going to be the one that does her in. And that's why she has to face it at the end. She has to face it. And that's how she's able to confront him and say, you're so much smaller than I remember. To me, that's really, that's a powerful piece of storytelling. What did you guys make of the Moonlight Man? I thought the Moonlight Man worked pretty well as um, a manifestation of her Mm. psychosis as she is deprived of water and food. Um, And as a sort of symbol of everything um, that's toxic about masculinity. And I wished it would have kept as a a figment of her imagination. I think you could have done so much more with that. And I actually thought at first that this must be a deviation from the book and you couldn't possibly have meant it to be an actual serial killer who was coming in and out of her house. Because as a metaphor, it works well. Mm. You don't know whether it's real or not. Um, You assume that it isn't. And uh, her dialogue with him seems to have that sort of very unreal quality that you would expect of someone in that sort of situation. Yeah, Yeah, including uh, her interaction with him uh, when she finally escapes. And then it feels like a whole different story is then happening when six months later she finds out he's a real person and then she goes to see him in his trial and he talks to her and he's almost like this sympathetic character at this point. And And he's almost like... What's the point of him in this so that that six month finish really I hate that in Mm. any kind of TV or film. Like skip to the bit afterwards and also when he turns around and says oh you're real so it's like almost like whose whose story are we focusing on because he's but, but that's him replaying what that's not him saying that he's saying he's saying he's what, she said. what she said yeah yeah um but if, and this is like it was i found that a bit jarring mm-hmm. um and i agree i think if it had stayed as that metaphorical kind of moonlight man that would have made it a lot more interesting premise for me um helen uh, i, I kind of like i thought the the six months later was a bit clunky in its storytelling, mm. but it, it needed to happen to show her journey. Otherwise, it would just be really depressing and kind of you'd be... The, the story wouldn't be complete. And I quite like the fact that you're imagining that he's this fictional character and he's a hallucination and it's really weird. Um, 
and then you find out it's not, it makes it even creepier because he was there. And didn't do anything. Yeah. And he's mentioned at the start anyway, so... Yeah, you, he's you, on the radio. Yeah. So it, you, you're kind of like, okay, so the, you were pointed to it there and mm. it's... I, I thought it was quite interesting and it, it adds that... Like, ooh, mm. I mean, the reason I like it is because the whole conversation that the film is trying to, and the book as well, is trying to initiate is the things that we define as monsters can sometimes seem really prosaic and ordinary and sometimes they can be almost fantastical but the power we give to them as monsters is what determines their size and effectiveness and you know her father at the start is the most loving of the three monsters he's he's caring and nurturing but he's also you know an awful child molester Mm. and at the end you've got someone who's actually rather kind of pitiful and broken and damaged who killed eight who's people? A, who's an actual monster? He, you mm. know, I I like that because it it throws up the main themes of the story, and it's imperfect because life is imperfect as well. But I I found her performance in that confrontation scene in the court really. I like a story that has some closure, and you know, it's slightly cheesy, but the. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the eclipse thing at the end as she walks down the street it's not literally an eclipse it's again it's some of her so you have the eclipse but you also have when she turns to see the what the moonlight man looks like really then it like fades into her husband and fades into her dad yeah. so that when you're talking about the three goes to Christmas past present and yet to come yeah. kind of thing that's almost that's yeah. embodied in that, in that she's literally there. facing all of her monsters in yeah, one go, in one go but of all the exposition in this film most of it is about the men I know almost nothing about her apart from this one incident when she's 12 um, and then it's all about how terrible her husband is and her, her father. I don't know anything about what happened to her while, in, while she was married or well, what, what the background was. Or We get to know, know about her during her resolve in the film. Um, but I know everything to... about her character. I might not know her backstory. I don't know anything about her character. She is a complete blank to me. Oh, and I, I, I felt like I learned an awful lot because that's always the challenge, particularly with female characters in movies particularly movies that tend to be written by men is what do you what do you know about the character other than her relation to a husband or the boyfriend but to me it's all about her reactions it's about her resolve it's about there's naivete and innocence about wanting to feed the dog she feels sorry for it but she doesn't realize that the steak was really expensive and she leaves the door open and she's anxious about that she wants to please her husband but she sort of doesn't trust him and she's also uncomfortable with his attempt to, you know, reignite their sex. I, I feel like I know a lot about her. She's, she's complicated and nuanced. And in, I don't know what she does for a living, but that's not what the story's about. I don't know what Gerald does for a living. He's Gerald, a lawyer. He's a lawyer. And she's, like her father. She's a housewife. Even though, kids, yeah. Without many without friends. Um, the resolve, the kudja. Let's yeah. talk about that, guys. That, or, so, should we, or should we go well, to... Let's can, go. We, can we talk about her husband? Because... Well, we, we are going on for time here talking about it, so okay. let's, let's well, move on Well, I was just going to say, in terms of villains, he's particularly nasty and really kind of more scary than the Moonlight Man, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Because you get... Her husband or her, her dad? Her husband. her husband. Her husband. I think what you see in her dad is just how easy it is to manipulate someone. There's a really yeah, because he he talks her out of um, telling telling her mother. Yeah. mother because he makes her feel like it will be her fault, and I thought that was a really well written demonstration of mm. how abusers tend to manipulate their victims. I thought that was really quite because I thought that was well that, done. I thought that that was the best bit about the that line of the storytelling mm-hmm. when he's when he's I'm so sorry. Let's you know we could tell your mum, but hold on, you know. It will be... Because I think she'll blame you. something that was a little more cliche, it would be the hand over the mouth, it would be the threat, it would be be something a little bit kind of bullshitty and obvious. And I think that just showed a much more sophisticated understanding of how people manipulate each other. I thought, I think to Helen's point, um, Gerald is a really awful person and you start to realise just how awful it starts with the handcuffs and Mm. and you know his kind of him wanting her to play into a rape fantasy and her dawning disgust as she realizes what he's actually trying to create there Mm. i think it's the 
the fact he doesn't accept that she doesn't want to be a part of it. Because if both people are entangled in the same fancy, then, you know, go to town. But mm-hmm. the fact at the first instance she wasn't comfortable and he didn't and yet he kept on going yeah and he'd never the, talked to her about it beforehand yeah, yeah. It was and it's like where and did this come from industrial strength handcuff so could possibly we, get out but then we find out in the discussion that she, he has actually kind of had those if she thought back about it then he yeah. has had those kind of uh, leanings beforehand but also there's that lovely moment where they're in the car on the way there mm. and the song's on the radio and it's a trigger for her and so that's the thing that sets her up into that just remembering the and then the eclipse becomes metaphorical about her blanking out her history mm. and not thinking about it and trying to throw herself into a marriage and a relationship and all of that and the dawning realization of what she went through as a child and how she's almost falling into a pattern and that she now needs to initiate a change i i, I thought it was quite powerful <laughs> um before we go into the denouement the kudja mm. how does this rank for those guys I've never actually read a Stephen King film uh, book uh, but he has been prolifically made into films How sometimes does, well sometimes well sometimes not so well I mean Dark Tower is one that's been lauded I mean last year was a big year for Stephen King it was it was yeah uh, it's Dark Tower this I'm not sure if there's anything else that came out but how does this rank in the pantheon of Stephen King films that we pretty high for me um, it doesn't rank at all well, what would be the, the peak for you peak probably King. The Shining Okay. Mim and I have had conversations about The Shining before. That's but a whole separate Carrie. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Car- yeah, Carrie's up there. Um, I, because I love the book and because I was so excited to see what Mike Flanagan would do with this, mm. I think it's probably in my top five. Okay. Um, but it's up there with some... Um, I mean, actually, the new adaptation of It would go in there with Carrie, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. And I don't know about the fifth one. I think I'd be a, the Shawshank guy. And that's me not knowing Stephen King and not really... Oh, being Stand By Me. That oh, would yeah. Be a fifth oh, one. great oh, film. There you great go. Great film. Those two would be my, yeah. my top three. Right, guys. Bring the gore. Bring the gore. Bring the glove. Um, the, the, let's take away that glove. Mm. Had you ever heard of this term, degloving before? Yes. And how? Um, someone actually, it was years ago, someone shared something Oof. on... I think Already it was on it social sounds, media and it, 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 was, it was one of those gross, here are horrible things hands. that people see in hospitals. <laughs> yeah. And it was described as... Motorbike people have them yes, in their motorbike yes, accident. Yeah, it's re- and I, I saw the picture before I realised what I was looking at and then I wished I hadn't seen it. Yeah. Um, and as practical effects go, this is among the best <laughs> I've is. ever seen. It's... It's this really quite. This is generally one of the times I was near. I wasn't sick, but I could. I was found really. I did think of really you tough when I was watching. watching it. I was going like, "Oh, yeah. Kobe's not going to enjoy this." I've watched the film twice, and I it's it's pra- practically the only scene I can think of in any horror film where I've had to cover my eyes. Yeah, where yeah. I, yeah. I'm curious to see how well it's done, but it's just <laughs> almost unwatchably <laughs> awful. Oh, yeah. I had to send Reese out of the, the room. He was like, what's happening in it now? I was like, you don't want to come in, don't come in. <laughs> and he could hear it and he was like going, what's going on? I was like, you don't want to know. Yeah, um, I'd heard about degloving. There's a there's a book which is really popular at the moment called um, This Ought to that Hurt. Word? <laughs> uh, this, this Is Going to Hurt by yes. a, a comedian. Adam McKay. Adam yeah, McKay. That's where I've... That's where I first yeah. heard. I've not read the book because he talked about it on Richard Herring's podcast about degloving. I mean, that's and, that's nothing. And that for me was like, I don't want to hear it because I've heard about PL degloving as well. Which Ooh, yep. Let's not go there. Yeah. So <laughs> and for me, that's why I don't want to read this book. It's amazing. You should read it. No, but I don't want to read... I've seen him live and I think he's amazing, but I still, I don't want to read that because it's rank. So when I saw it live, when I realize what's happening and it works really well that as you say as a physical effect of, of gore i don't i'm not really afraid of gore it, but i was surprised they went like that far gore doesn't bother me at all yeah. i can watch you know i mentioned peter jackson's uh, brain dead Brilliant. earlier which yeah. is that, the goriest film ever made that's and funny yeah though. but that's gore like it's like a cartoon yeah. but 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 gore and blood doesn't bother me what what sells this moment mm. is the sound effects it's the performance it's the detail of like it's, putting the glass in into the wedge in the sh- in in the shelf. So that she... well, the, and it's the anticipation as well because you know the moment you know what she's going to do, mm. you're like, yeah. oh, will it work? Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I, at first I thought it's just like lubricate, get get some blood coming out so you can maybe slip it through. But then no, we're going to take it further. So g- given, <laughs> given how fun Stephen King is Ooh. of writing Ooh. truly gruesome scenes, 
from what I recall of having read the book, the detail is more on the slitting of the wrists. Right. And then the using of the blood as a lubricant. And I think he mentions degloving in it, but he doesn't go into explicit detail of how that actually works. My knees are weak at the moment. And what the film does. Can we, can we? Is it shows it? I know. And I was like, they're going to cut away. No, 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 they're not. Ah. There it goes. Oh, there it goes. And the closest, I think the closest um, example in Stephen King's other work is the hobbling scene in Misery. Yes. Which is also Almost one I can't watch. Equally unwatchable, even also, though it's a great film. half half a second. Mm. And that was actually at the time there was a real concern, and Stephen King wasn't happy with it because in the book she cuts his foot off with an axe, but the hobbling is somehow at once less graphic, but so much more horrifying. We've seen limbs severed yeah. a million times in movies, but just that grotesque twist of the ankle. I remember when I watched that first, it made my sister cry because it was so <laughs> horrifying and quick. Your your imagination kind of fills in the rest mm. and and it's a pain that you can imagine. I thought I would be okay with this having uh, watched Martyrs and enjoyed it uh, with the whole peeling of the entire body. Mm. Um, but that was more artistic, I felt, than, and, than this one. And weirdly, Martyrs doesn't seem to focus on the... I didn't get the pain from... Mark, because I've never been skinned alive, I, I I almost don't. I imagine there's a point where your nerve just, endings just shut down because yeah. it's overwhelming. The the scene in Gerald's game is localized enough mm. for you to think I can sort of imagine how horrifyingly painful that is, mm. and that's what makes it. And then the mobile phone almost unwatchable. Battery is dead. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's not an easy road to to get out freedom, from that situation there, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and on that, <laughs> on that bombshell, I'm, I'm, I was maybe I shouldn't ask this, but in the pantheon of horrible scenes you think you've um, witnessed in film, the one that comes to me the most is in American History X. The, yes, the curb stomp, curb stomp scene. Even though you don't see that, that's not no, that's not as graphic as this. No, but that for me is that one of those scenes where I'm literally hmm. jump up and have to. Like hold myself. So Tom Savini, the you know the effects guy who did the effects in the Romero zombie movies and mm. Friday the Thirteenth and Maniac and all of those. Tom Savini talks about doing great special effects using misdirection. He works effects tricks the way a magician does. So you show something real to let the audience know that you're seeing something real, and then you can swap it out and do something fake, and their brain remembers that they've seen like the blade has a real metal edge so you hear it chink against something mm. so you know it's real so even then when you see the dummy one your your brain is convinced it's still seeing the same thing and what american history x does incredibly well is that sound effect of the teeth on mm. the curb that's the thing isn't it so once you see that there's a real teeth on a real curb and you know what that sounds like when your teeth graze against a hard surface and from that moment hard on it doesn't matter how much you do or don't see you know that there are real teeth on a real curb. Everything else you can just fill in the gaps and that's what makes it so horrifying. Well, that, that was what Dali did in his film and Shenandoah. And Shenandoah. Yeah, with mm. the eyeball. Mm -hmm. The first, first, first example of that. But that was a cow's eye, wasn't it? Yeah, used? but it's, you meant to think it's a, yeah. a human, human eye. Anything for you, Mim, that's, that sticks out? Uh, in terms of gore, yeah. I try not to, uh, as a fainter, I try not to watch too much of that because I'll just fall off the back of my seat. But if you're just going through the Times or IMDb 150 films, you can't, <laughs> you're not picking it by gore level. I think so much of it, you know, it doesn't have a visceral effect mm. because it seems like a cartoon. Um, heads exploding, brain dead was a fantastic example of that. I just yeah. couldn't take it seriously. We're no. not supposed to. It's almost like um, the same with the zombie ones. In fact, I kind of enjoyed, uh, you know, zombies pulling out guts from people's bodies and mm. whatnot. It doesn't it's a quick death, mm. <laughs> so you haven't got uh, that long drawn out pain that you get in this this one. Um, but as, yeah, as I say, I, don't, I try not to. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I inveterately I just close my eyes when this sort of stuff comes along. Right. I go la 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 la, so I don't have to listen to the sound effects either. Anything, anything else for you, Gareth? Is that no? I think I think we've covered it. Cool. Right, guys, let's head to the scores. Time for the scores. 
So welcome to the spreadsheet of dreams. So all the scores are out of five. You can have decimal places and the lowest you can go is zero, no mm-hmm. minuses. And we will start with you, Gareth, with the recommendability, please. I think I'd say a four because I know it's not for everybody. There'll be some people who either need a little more bang for their buck or they're just too squeamish to enjoy something like that. So I think four is fair. Miriam? I'm going to give it a three because although I hated it uh, with a visceral passion, uh, mm-hmm. I know that everyone's got different tastes and there will be a lot of people who will enjoy it. Uh, I am also going to go for a four. Um, I think it's a pretty solid horror film. And, um, you know, if you're a fan of Stephen King and horror, um, I would definitely recommend it. And yeah, it's it's a four because, I mean, it is pretty gruesome. and That's, that's why you're taken away from it. The, no, the the one that loses the mark because, because you, of the yeah, okay. you've, even casual horror fans might find it a bit too much. I'm going to give it more points because of the gore uh, to take it <laughs> to three point four. I'm going to say um, because I know people who will, will like it, and Just, I think they will. And it's and that scene will shock people, hmm. and I think that's one thing. That's one reason you should see it. Um, and I was expecting something to happen. I thought she was going to have to break her arm or something like that. All of which wouldn't have hit me in the same way that that did and i applaud the film for it but i still don't think for me it's not my kind of film I, the people i recommend it to i'd say probably would have watched this already or say yeah go for the yeah we've seen it um <laughs> so that's why it's a bit lower for me but i'm adding more because i think that scene was genuinely one of the few things that's maybe turned away from the screen mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think that's great that's absolutely great mm-hmm. um repeat viewing score Gareth, how many times have you seen it so far? Um, I've seen it twice and it's been around for about 14 months. Mm. I I would happily watch it again because I I like the depths that it goes to. Um, but then again, it's a fairly small film. It's trying to come up with a lot of interesting camera angles in what is effectively one room, which is probably, I think, why Mim thought it was over-art-directed because it was very consciously trying to create some different viewpoints in one set. It's one bed. I mean, he the head of the bed is actually, I don't know if you noticed this, but the head of the bed is actually the mirror from Oculus. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. You're joking. No. Well, it's the same director, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's the, that mirror. Well, he, he that mirror's been in virtually every movie he does. It's a he, great bed as well. It's great, Remember yeah. It? But all those curly cues and things, that's from I took the, a lot of notice of those as yeah. I was trying to work out it's how great, to possibly... It's great, great detail. Um... <laughs> So, uh, repeat viewing, I'm going to score this a four because for a movie with only a handful of actors and one set, I'd be quite happy to watch it again. Well, I'd be very happy never to watch it again, (laughs) so I'm going to give it a one. H? Um, Yeah, I mean, it's an hour and 43. I could probably have done with 15 minutes shaved off that to be my ideal runtime. I probably would watch it again. Um, <laughs> don't know why. What situation would you watch it again? Because the way you're kind of saying it is that I probably would watch it again, but I have to be like, have the three mood. pints of like Stella Artois and yeah, maybe just a night in on my own, flicking through Netflix and can't be bothered to find nice, something new. Nice and chick flick. Yeah. <laughs> thought I might go back to that one for a bit of Just want to give myself nightmares. Fun. And then, fun. Yeah, yeah. And then go straight to bed afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, two and a half 2.5 I'm going to go for I'm going to join Mim um, in fact I'm going to go for 0.9 can you do that? that's very yeah, specific you can put, put as many decimal places in as you want so what did you say 2.5? yeah down the middle yeah alright small screen score Gareth um, I have to give it a 5 I mean it was made for Netflix so it was made to be watched on a TV and most people I know you when you position this it's could you watch it on a tablet or a no, no, phone. We, we talk about home viewing, so yeah. on um, a TV screen. But it, it was made for that, but I still think it's it's suitably cinematic, but it's not something that demands to be seen on the biggest possible screen. Yeah. So I think it's perfectly suited to the small screen. Miriam? Uh, I'd agree. It looked fine on the on the small screen. In fact, I can't quite imagine it on a, a larger screen. Um, the smaller, the better, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Diminishing it's to the point of... on an Apple Watch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give it a four. Because it would definitely works best on that medium. Well, you even said it almost felt like a TV movie when you were watching it. Yeah. 
yeah, kind of soft focus. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll go for a five on this one. Um, I like the fact that it's a Netflix one and they're kind of dipping their ho- toe into... Dipping their toe. Dipping, <laughs> dipping, dipping the hoe into gore, yeah. dipping their toes into, um, you know, putting money behind this. And I think obviously with the TV series as well, The, the Haunting of Hill House, um, they've obviously got quite few rewards back from endorsing uh, Mr. Flanagan. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and it, it does have, and not in a bad way for me, has that kind of slightly low budget feel, even mm. though it is sort of cinematic in places. I'm going to go four and a half here. Um, no, in fact, no, I'm giving it, I'm taking it half away because um, going back to, the, to that degloving scene, I think that would have been hilarious to see that in the cinema with other people. Um, I like, you know, that kind of reaction that you see mm. with people. And the biggest reaction I've seen in the cinema screen was uh, watching Drive when literally like the whole road just like shot up. I don't know. I, and screamed when... Yes, I know the scene. Um, and I was just like, wow. this, this is what this is what like something that binds people could do. And I think it would be quite interesting because I was, I was in my bed. I was like trying to make myself look as small as possible and not look at the screen. So to watch what other people were doing, you know, would have been I'm, quite interesting. Weren't people like sick in the aisles and stories like that? What for? In what? Sorry. For watching this, I think the publicity departments always like those stories. Don't they? No, yeah. I mean, did the get, Exorcist. Did you get any there's some great news. For, no, there's some great news footage um, from when the Exorcist was released in '74, and it's hilarious because it's lots of people like people being carried out of the cinema, mm. the ushers having to go in and wash the carpets because people were throwing up because they'd never experienced anything like it before. But again, the studio PR departments, like you say, they love those stories because yeah. it's like you're going to get something really extreme. The only time I've ever seen someone scream and run out of a cinema was actually watching Showgirls. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> completely different That's reasons. a whole different story. <laughs> um, so yeah, 4.5, because I think it would have been quite cool to see what people's reactions were. <laughs> This is me being like freak show. Hmm. It'd be like an eclipse. I wouldn't look at the. Yeah, look directly at it. I wouldn't look at the screen. I just stand there at the screen, looking back at everyone. Maybe that's the point. I think that is the eclipse moment. That's your eclipse moment. Don't look directly at it. Uh, Look at people's reactions. Engagement score. Um, Gareth. Oh, sorry. So I mean, we're defining engagement as you know, it got me. It It got you. Did you feel the need to be like? We like. I'm gonna. I I didn't look at my phone. I was. It's one of those films. So my ultimate test for a film and how much I'm engaged in it is, do I wish it was a bit longer? And with this one, yeah. Okay. I know to your point, Helen, you thought they could shave 15 minutes off it. I was enjoying it so much. I was like, this could happily go to two hours and I'd be completely happy. So yeah, I'll give it a five. Miriam? I watched this film in 10 minute bursts. (laughs) (laughs) Watched a bit, stopped a bit, watched a bit. Uh, over how many days? Two or? days. Okay. I did an hour each. It's an hour and 45 minutes. Um, there were bits that I did find engaging. The flashbacks to the eclipse, I did manage to easily watch all the way through. Uh, but for the rest, I had to break it down into small bite-sized bits. So I would give it a two, I think. Crikey. I've never, had, I've never heard that before. Breaking it down to like ten minute bursts sounds like some weird kind of like cardio or fitness <laughs> yeah. thing or like high torture, yeah. torture hit training. Training. Yes. Um, I I do think it was a little bit longer and it could have shaved bits here and there. Um, but I was for the most part um, completely engaged. But a little bit sort of come on. Then is she going to get out? Is she not? Mm. Uh, uh, so there was before. a driving. Yeah through line for you but it, it did sag a little bit so I thought it could just be a little bit tighter so 4.5 um, I'm going to give it a three and a half um, I think it could have been a lot tighter just I, th- I think the narrative apart from the scene where uh, she's talking to her dad and that kind of inceptioning of like no this if you tell your mum she'll hate you kind mm-hmm. of thing I, I thought that, that was the best bit that was outside of the four walls of the, of the story mm-hmm. um, so I think it could have been for me tighter and everything else with the Moonlight Man at the end kind of would, just took me out of it completely. So that's why it's a bit lower than mm-hmm. it would be. So 3.5 for me there, which gives us an overall score of uh, 3.51875, which, Pretty which good. I think is decent. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, I think the repeat viewing score, it's, it's taken a few knocks there because it's, it's a tough... 
watch I can imagine it would be happen. a film that most people wouldn't need to see more than <laughs> once. Unless you want to find out more about how to cl- uh, fold your clothes properly mm-hmm. and pack. Mm-hmm. Good good for that. Or design a nice bedhead. Oh, that's true. Actually, there was a lot of packing. Or a nice loft. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How or to a nice pack some uh, elongated handcuffs. Can I just <laughs> put them at the top of the. Can I just say one final thought? Sure. Um, if like Jerry Springer. You're, if you're tempted, this is a great film to watch as a double bill with Dolores Claiborne because although the movie Dolores Claiborne doesn't mention it, Gerald's Game does, she has a moment where she sees a woman standing over a well. And in the two, like I said earlier, the books were written together as one piece. The stories overlap. And the only supernatural element in Gerald's Game is actually her psychic connection with Dolores Claiborne. And what I loved about the film was they left that in there. If you've read the books and you know the connection, if you haven't, it doesn't matter. It's just a line of dialogue. But if you want to, Dolores Claiborne's another great Stephen King adaptation. And the fact that the characters are linked through this eclipse and overcoming um, abuse, it does make it two nice stories that sit nice, probably the wrong word, (laughs) two interesting stories that sit well together. Um, We asked people before we go to recording, um, to comment on the films we're, we're going to be talking about. In this case, we, we said we're reviewing Gerald's Game with My Mims Call and G Dimolo. Have you seen it? Tell us your thoughts for on-air shout-out on Flixwatcher. And we had a couple of people coming back to us, uh, which did surprise me. Miriam, do you want to read the first one? Uh, Broken Woman's... This one. Yeah. Uh, really great performance by Carla Gugino. Gugino. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Uh, and Gareth, do you want to say something? Oh, great, give me the tongue twister, thank you. Absolutely. Um, so this is our friends at Top Film Tip. Broken woman slipping sanity aids escape from mental... Um, that says metal. I think I he s- means mental. Does or he? it could be physically oh, yeah, metal. metal, metal yeah. Metaphorical chains, bewitching battle for self actualization Like a snake, our protagonist sheds her skin to be born anew. Holy masterful work of D-Glove, red right hand storytelling. All wrapped up in off. a maxi pad. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and he gives that five hands... Out of five gloves. Yeah. Um, we should say Top Film Tip is our captain, my captain for Shabbos Rollers for our Give quiz ben team. a shout out, yeah. Yeah, so thank you very much, Ben, for that. Um, guys, thank you very much for coming and bringing us the film, uh, Gareth. Thank you. Can you let, do you want people to find you on Twitter? If you do, Absolutely. tell us where they can find you. I'm um, just at Gadimlo, that's G-D-I-M-E-L-O-W. And at my mimicical. M- <laughs> <laughs> Sounds filthy. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the point. Uh, cool. Well, um, <laughs> cheers to that, guys. And thank you very much for coming. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Cheers, guys. You were just listening to the latest episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Thank you to Brendan Russell for his sublime editing skills. Mighty people for the tunes you can hear right now. Please do come to iTunes and find us, like, subscribe, share with your friends. Find us on Twitter at Flixwatcherpod and our website, flixwatcher.tv.